Welcome to the JLA cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. My name's John, and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ, and I am the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. And I guess we we probably really need like a subtitle at this point, or which is basically like the podcast in which John and PJ ostensibly talk about JLA by Grant Morrison, but also apparently spend an hour just talking nonsense before we actually record. Uh, we probably should have had the mics running. Yeah, you know, there was some grade A material there that you folks are never going to hear. Yeah, like really killer. Although it was kind of verging into... Libelous? To libelous, <laughs> yeah. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, uh, very rude. Like just like real off the chain vulgarity, and um, also just <laughs> we did sound a little bit like old men who don't really understand the world anymore. Uh, I mean, kind of... that's what I am. So, well, you're not old, but you can see it from here. <laughs> you know, like we're we're cresting the first ridge in this mountain range. Some people say mm. I've been an old man since I was about five, but you know, some might say like we we we've both. We our bodies are finally reaching the same level as our mental state, in a way, if that makes sense. I'm either a child or I'm like a 90-year-old. I think I flip between the two. Well, I, I, sh- I should also say that um, I made myself a um, big pot of coffee for this, this talk, and I have drunk it all in our pre-talk. Yeah, likewise. Talk. I am out of coffee now. Yeah, so if I... Uh, so I guess if the two of us appear... Or sound a little unfocused, that could be part of it. Caffeine's going to wear off halfway through the show. Yeah, we're going to crash hard. <laughs> um, PJ, um, I guess another inaccuracy in our title is that we're not actually talking about JLA this issue. Yeah, this we've episode. gone off on, in in some ways, the smallest, but in other ways, the biggest tangent of all the tangents we've done so far. Because our, our other tangents have been Justice League, A Midsummer's Nightmare. So that's a JLA book. That's fine. That's the Justice League. And then we had JLA Wildcats. It's right there in the oh, title. I thought, you were, I, thought, I thought you were going to forget it for a minute, PJ. I tried to. I tried to. Um, All the therapy. <laughs> this week, the book we're looking at is issue 10 of Aztec, The Ultimate Man. Ooh, and I've got to say... You don't really need to know much about Aztec for your heart to be set aflame by the title of Aztec, The Ultimate Man. No, it's a great title. Um, the reasons we're covering this issue, if you've read JLA, you already know, um, and it will become apparent very, fairly quickly when we get into it. But um, I think we need to give a bit of background about Aztec 
as a character in a series, really. Yeah. Um I feel I feel you're you're gonna be I mean you're always useful. <laughs> Thank I feel, you. I feel you yeah, well, you know, <laughs> gotta be honest. Um I feel you're gonna be particularly useful this episode because my uh, awareness of Aztec was up until now entirely limited to his appearances in JLA. And I think some wider context around the character would be really, really valuable. So for a good long while, my only knowledge of Aztec was also his appearances in JLA. Um, his book, Aztec, The Ultimate Man, ran for 10 issues. So the issue we're looking at today is the final one. Issue one came out the same month as JLA issue one, but, but before it. Um, so it was earlier in the month. Um and then it ran that way for the whole 10 issues. So it was Aztec 1, JLA 1, Aztec 2, JLA 2, etc. Every issue of Aztec was written by uh, Grant Morrison and Mark Miller. They co-wrote the book and penciled by N. Stephen Harris. So you had the same creative team throughout. But it meant that Morrison was able to slightly tie it into JLA a bit. So you get appearances from Green Lantern in issue 2. He and Aztec have a team up fighting a shapeshifter called Synth who's taken the form of Major Disaster, which is why Green Lantern turns up. And I have to say, there's a lovely moment in it where at the end, uh, Aztec, who's the new hero on the block in this case, says to Green Lantern, you've been a real inspiration to me. And Kyle flies off and just thinks, cool. Because <laughs> he finally gets to be the Elder Statesman. Kyle inadvertently was basically like the JLA's talent scout yes. around this time. Yeah. Because he finds he brings Connor in, doesn't he, as well? Uh, Green Arrow. Well, that's it. In issue five of JLA, where you have the um, the auditions and all these characters show up to audition, one of them is Aztec. And uh, I think Kyle has a line of saying, oh, I thought Green Arrow and Aztec were uh, were pretty pretty cool. And uh, Flash says, well, yeah, you nominated them both. The um, And I, th- I, I think the the interesting thing to me is if you took that just that audition story uh, story uh, just on its own you get that kind of uh, image where you see all the candidates and you know we don't spend we don't spend a lot of time with each we don't get to see all their interviews but you know you've got a real cross section of the DC universe mm. yeah uh, there's Artemis uh, Steel is there uh, which is showing a little bit of Morrison's kind of interest in the character even even then. Um, Supergirl, you know, uh, Max Mercury, which is a bit of a deep cut. Uh, and then you've got Aztec, uh, among others. And um, certainly if you're not familiar with the wider DC universe, I certainly don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of the DC, DC universe. Um, you might be forgiven for thinking that Aztec was a pretty established character. Mm. But yeah, he's, he's as you know, fresh as the driven snow. Like, he he was very new to the world at that point. Yeah, and um, I think Morrison had him cameo in that issue. He didn't really say much. He, I think he appears for maybe two panels. Um, and so, yeah, for a long time, I wasn't really up on Aztec's history. But then, I want to say about 10 years ago, uh, maybe a little longer, maybe uh, just checking, 2008, so 12 years ago, they released a trade of the complete Aztec the Ultimate Man, uh, Grant Morrison's name appears at the top of the book, and then it says JLA presents Aztec: The Ultimate Man. Ah, that's wise. And I was always 
and on the spine it's JLA presents in big letters as well. And I was obviously I was always very curious about Aztec. So this was I bought this as soon as it came out and read all ten issues very quickly. Um so yeah, you you get um it's it's just an odd book. It's a very odd book. Um I was wondering if you could I guess we'll we'll definitely get into the character and everything that happens in his little series, but do you know was it was it curtailed? Like, did yes. it? It definitely ended prematurely. Yes. So Morrison and Miller were clearly they they had a a, a roadmap for this series, an outline of of where they wanted to go with it. I think they had a definitive ending for it, um, and then it gets cancelled with issue ten. And um, to their credit, they don't they wrap up a couple of things, but they don't make that much effort and. Um, they still leave a lot of plot threads dangling that weren't going to be picked up. They 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 basically went, right, we're ending, so we'll just end this issue. We'll tie up maybe this issue a bit more than we normally would have, but overall we're not going to do anything to uh, get rid of the loose ends. Yeah, because, I mean, my, my introduction to... I think I've mentioned before on the podcast that my first exposure to this series was actually the last book in the series it was um volume six world war three yeah and that was such like a formative experience for me that ever since i've always enjoyed joining a story partway through the action like i loved the mystery of going like well i recognize superman but what the hell is happening and who's this character and who's this character and and why does this guy have a history with them i've never heard of him i love that Mm. because it inspires me to go find out more and obviously, Aztec, um, I don't want to get ahead of myself because, you know, we've got a lot of this podcast still to make, but um, Aztec ends up playing a fairly important role in the conclusion to this series. And I remember, like, um, meeting him in those pages, and you don't spend a lot of time with him, no. but remember just thinking, A, who is this guy? Like, this is kind of cool. And B, what an awesome costume. Yes. Aztec has a great look. Um, we'll have to get a picture of him up somewhere that we can share with everyone when we th- when this episode comes out. But it's 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 like a white costume with gold gauntlets and wristbands and and a big gold circle in the middle. And then he has this awesome gold helmet that covers most of his face except for his mouth, with spikes coming off it. And it's a great look. It it, it is a really good look. And I I, I would say it's one thing that. I think JLA has always had going for it is the characters are very iconic. You know, um, I'm a long-time Avengers reader, but I wouldn't say that the average Avengers lineup has like the greatest or most instantly recognizable collection of costumes, Mm -hmm. shall we say? But like when you look at the mag, you know, um, the Magnificent Seven, wow, yeah, recognized worldwide pretty much. And Aztec has the look to him where you think he belongs up there yes like his costume is very it's very crisp and uncluttered and it it, it, it's quite striking and he just looks like he he should be among the jla like he he is he looks iconic right off the bat yeah and it's even hinted at in his series you get that issue with green lantern later on you get a two-part story uh, where he fights the joker where batman appears at the end very end of the first part and then it's the second part is basically an aztec batman team up which is brilliant um and also uh has a really great um setup for the joker that morrison sort of 
works in and puts in place where he he put forward the idea that every time Joker is beaten by Batman, he takes on a different persona for the next time they fight, which kind of makes sense. Which is this is the weird thing, like the 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 bizarre little Morrison continuity that runs across pretty much every book he's worked on, because his theory of the Joker having like essentially super uh, dissociative identity disorder uh, is has been running, I think, since like maybe even Arkham Asylum, yeah, in, in like eighty nine, I want to say. And, like, obviously carried on into his run on Batman. Like, yeah, like, is the Joker going to be a wacky prankster this time? Or is he going to be a cackling psychopath? Or... So in Aztec, he takes on the persona of the cosmic trickster, is what he goes yes. for. And it's a really interesting story where he gets another villain to, um, like, build these little robot things that send signals out over the city that make people go crazy. And it's very strange, but... Superman also has a cameo in a later issue, just as he's sort of turning into his energy form, um, because he's still in the blue and red costume and looks human, but then energy is pouring out of his eyes and he's struggling to contain it. I mean, and that's just got to be awkward. Yeah. Um. So, I guess just to boil it down then, read Reader's Digest version, who or what is Aztec the Ultimate Man? When we meet him at the beginning of this issue... Aztec is um, he is a guy named Uno who was trained by the Q Foundation from birth to be the latest in their line of warriors who wear this outfit uh, to battle um, Ooh, oh man uh, Te- uh, Tezcatlipoca yes yes basically the, the, the coming evil that's set to yeah like the uh, essentially the Aztec god of evil yeah and the Q Foundation are under Quetzalcoatl, um, God of Light. Yep. And um, so they've created this superhero, effectively, who comes to Vanity City in America, which is an odd place. It's sort of a city of where there's darkness and death and all this awful I stuff. I gotta say, I do. Uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt no. you. Jay. I was just gonna say, I, I really like the idea of Vanity City, like. I mean, DC, the DC Earth is riddled with fictional cities which don't don't exist, uh, and um, to start to create a new one feels like a badge of honor for a new superhero in in the DC world. Because I guess if you put them in Metropolis, you've got to come up with reasons as to why Superman isn't always there. Same for Gotham. So Aztec, he gets his own suit, he gets his own title, he gets his own city and vanity was kind of like purpose built to make people worse yeah in a weird way it's it's where the uh the dark god is supposed to arise when joker turns up he does so because he's on holiday <laughs> he likes to go on holiday to the evil places in the world the dark places you also have a moment in issue two where uh green lantern is struggling to use his ring just because of the sort of vibe vanity gives off and it's messing with his willpower. They say that, like, all the buildings were designed in such a way to induce feelings of, like, claustrophobia and paranoia. And, like, you can you can kind of imagine, like, the streets are maybe, like, 
79% as wide as they need to be. You know, everything is just a tiny bit too small or awkward. So everyone's always grumpy. Everyone's always, like, looking for the worst in people. It seems to bring out the worst in people. It's a really... Quite why anybody would want to live there is 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 baffling to me. But it's even reflected, and I think done beautifully in the art. Um, N. Stephen Harris draws the backgrounds, the city, and a lot of the supporting characters in a very rough, scratchy style. Joker, when he appears as well, looks really weird um, yes very unusual whereas aztec himself is drawn very cleanly very clean lines classic superhero style sort of to contrast with the place that he's in um because aztec is a very heroic character he won't take a life he's he's very clean cut and he is doing his best to stick to that it's got a bit of um, definitely, well, I mean, overtly and, and subtly a fish out of water kind yeah, of vibe. Yeah. Because because not only is he a new arrival in Vanity, he's completely naive. I guess like a bit of, um, it could be argued like a bit of a kind of Steve Rogers, Captain America, man out of time sort of thing. It's more like here's a man who's been raised kind of like a monk. Uh, where all he's ever known is preparing to fight to face the god of evil and like yeah he knows how to fight but he's not been in many fights yeah and and he knows how to be a superhero but he has no idea how to buy groceries yeah or that sort of thing or what money is and like he's he's he's, useless. he's taken the secret identity of kurt falconer from a dead supervillain in issue one the piper is it the piper yeah yeah, uh, turns up, and it's like a, an older version of the Piper who's supposed to have retired and gone steady, but is forced into one last heist, and he gets killed by the current vigilante in Vanity City, who also ends up blowing himself up by mistake, leaving Aztec to clean up the mess. Um, so Aztec takes on the identity of Kurt Falconer, who is a neurosurgeon, so he has to become the neurosurgeon in the hospital. But I think he he can download some of the knowledge through his helmet, and he's able to sort of blag his way through. Um, with the help of the and Q it, Foundation. And doesn't his, his helmet also have... Uh, yeah, I guess we, we should touch on this. Um, would it be fair to say that Aztec's powers are subtle, broad, and loosely defined? Yes. There's definitely... Uh, he, can, he can fly. There's definitely some super strength. Um, he can create shields rather than being invulnerable. He can create energy shields, and I think fire energy blasts of various kinds, but there's never a clear, this is what his power set is. He just sort of seems to adapt to the moment. I like, yeah, I get the impression that like his, I like, I like characters who's just, I like a Swiss army knife, who just have like a bunch of kind of tricks up their sleeve, and Aztec never feels overpowered. Like he gen and frankly he struggles a lot in, yeah. some, in some in some of his battles, but he he's quite versatile, and I like I like that flexibility to him. He can do a ton of useful stuff as the situation demands it. Um, he does have I know it's like um, I think we've talked about this off air, but like they made a couple of design choices which they seem to do away with fairly quickly. The, like the feathered has- cape. <laughs> Yeah, or like wings, whatever they're meant to yeah. be. Like they seem to come and go. Yeah, I think he was sort of in a bit of a bit of flux at the beginning, but um, so the last three or two or three issues of the series, he's he, they've nailed it down, and some things that you saw in the first few have sort of disappeared without any explanation. They're just not there. 
maybe his suit's been powered up or because he does return to the Q Foundation at one point just to check in, make sure he's still um, able to serve the role. Um, and he has he, he has issues with his secret identity. He basically reveals it completely uh, when by accident. But the Q Foundation sort that out as well, because at that point in issue eight, we also find out that one of the people bankrolling the Q Foundation is Lex Luthor. Yes, and this is a this is an interesting thing you bring up because uh, obviously it's going to be touched upon in the upcoming storyline in JLA, and I don't want to get kind of like ahead of ourselves or back. Yeah, <laughs> but it's what you know if you were new to JLA. Or, or rather, if you were only familiar with JLA and you hadn't followed Aztec's own series, which is kind of definitely where I, I'd been at, I'd always assumed that the identity of Aztec's benefactor, the person paying for everything the Q Foundation does, I'd always assumed that was more of a mystery. Um, I mean, Aztec doesn't know no. who's paying for everything, but I didn't think the reader knew either because... Obviously, that gets revealed in the pages of JLA, which we'll get to in time. But I was actually kind of surprised that they outright show that in the pages of Aztec. Like, Aztec is none the wiser, but the reader is already informed. It's in a set way. out very clearly that Luthor is bankrolling the Q Foundation because he wants his own superhero to join the Justice League. He says it. That's exactly what Lex Luthor says in in the pages of Aztec. I do love the bluntness of Lex Luthor, where he is a very smart man, but in many ways his thinking is very limited. Yes. Like, he's essentially buying Aztec. He's trying to buy Aztec by giving him a life of luxury. And therefore he thinks that that means he owns Aztec? Yeah. Like, little realising that just being given like a ton of wealth... Not everybody would want that. Yeah. Like, not everyone would respond to it. And Aztec is such a pure kind of soul, in a way, that he is kind of un- incorruptible because <laughs> he just doesn't know any better. I mean, he goes on a date. And he and to start with, he, he's just kind of amazed that the restaurant they go to has more than one food on the menu. Yeah. Like, he's never been to a restaurant before. He just doesn't know how these things work. Poor, naive Aztec. Um. So... I guess kind of what kind of I guess in summary then what kind of happens over the course of his 10 issues I mean he he has because obviously we're jumping right in at the end of his series like when it was I guess kind of prematurely cancelled and like he's had some adventures he's I, I don't know does, does anything of wild significance happen which a reader would need to be aware of I, no not really um He's he's fought some new villains. He's fought some classic villains, not just Joker, but he's come up against the Parasite. Um, he's made himself known. He sort of there is a, a lovely thing in the first few issues where they'd have backup material uh, in the back of each issue, like Watchmen style. Um, one of them reprints uh, Aztec's application to be a federally registered metahuman, so he gets a full <laughs> license to be a superhero. So it reprints things like name, Aztec, secret identity. Police chief told me I didn't have to say. And then it gives his date of birth and group affiliation. Nobody <laughs> you know. And I love that. It's, it's that he has to register. I, I've got to say, that's always been one of the... I don't want to say ridiculous. That's always been one of the most fantastical elements of the DC universe. Where 
the idea that superheroes are kind of acknowledged in a way that the Marvel universe hasn't always done. Like I know, I know in recent years, Marvel has pivoted towards, well, certainly in the movies that maybe the Avengers are a division of shield Mm. or they are, you know, you know, or they are a government approved kind of thing or, but like, it's always weird that like, to me that in the DC universe, you could just register as a superhero as if that's like a legitimate career path. And everyone goes like, Oh yeah, that's cool. Of course he's a superhero. You know, there's fan clubs and stuff for superheroes. It's, it's like the culture is much more developed around being a hero in the DC universe. I think the only other key thing we need to know at this moment, really, is that, yeah, Aztec has met, and not just met, he's impressed enough. He's he's uh, he's worked with and impressed Green Lantern, Batman, and Superman. Um, so we get to issue 10 of Aztec, and you get a cover which has... Jean, Flash, Green Lantern, and Wonder Woman on it. Aztec fighting a guy I didn't recognize when I first met, uh, read this issue, but we'll get to that. Yeah, um, it's a very cool picture. I've got to say, like, Aztec is looking pretty badass. Uh, and it says, initiated into the JLA. Uh, the cover in this on this issue is not by the regular series artist. It is by Steve Lytle. Ah. Um, there we go. I don't the things we think N. Stephen Harris did any of the covers for the main series, actually. I think they had other artists for all of them i would say just to talk about um harris's artwork um i'm a big fan of grant morrison's run on doom patrol Mm. uh from the late 80s with richard case on art and this and i've got to say like the art on aztec really reminds me of of that run and richard case's art on doom patrol and it's kind of fascinating to me that this was coming out at the same time as JLA. Yeah. You know, drawn by Howard Porter. Because in terms of look and feel, the two series are worlds apart. Yes. And Aztec reads more to me like a late 80s, early 90s Vertigo title rather than an actual contemporary superhero comic. I think it's because he was an unknown character... Um... I think Morrison was allowed to take more chances and try and be... Because it was his thing, Aztec. He created him with Mark Miller and, and Stephen Harris. And so the book, they were given a almost total free reign to do what they liked. And then it was just because the sales weren't there that the book ended up getting cancelled and they weren't able to finish their story. Uh, but yeah, I think it feels much closer to, the, as you say, the sort of Vertigo stuff Morrison had been doing and... Um, Certainly, it's it's uh, of a kind with the other works Morrison did with Mark Miller in the uh, in the nineties. Yeah, it's at some point I I would be fascinated to visit that Flash series they worked on, mm. like having having never read that because I I'd love to see how that feels. Whether it feels like a Morrison book, whether it feels like I'm reading more adventures of Wally. And this is the Wally I know and love from JLA, or whether it feels like a different creative team. The issues of it that I have read, and I've only read three or four, but they feel more like Morrison's JLA, where he's playing with the big ideas, but using the characters we know and love to explore them. So that really explores the the what Wally can do with the super speed and the ideas behind that and how it affects how Wally affects the world as as the Flash, things like that. It is it doesn't feel the same as as Aztec. It's definitely not that sort of. It's not that Grant Morrison. No, no. Um, 
maybe 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 another diversion for the future mm-hmm. but uh so pj do you, do you think that's enough setup should we should we dive into this story yeah uh and the opening page is pretty striking we have the first panel is aztec's boot uh while batman lies on the floor with his back to us his hands bound behind his back and his cowl covered in blood with a caption saying what does it take to join the jla um and then we have the flash uh lying i'm gonna hope dead on the floor with both his legs severed above the knee there is a lot of blood on this page for something that's not a vertigo book (laughs) yeah a lot of blood. it's it's grim (laughs) um we also see uh in the following panel we see uh uh jean being burned alive um surrounded by uh figures in strange armor shall we say carrying staffs yeah and uh we get our first um first bit of dialogue where um yeah someone goes batman down the flash in pieces the martian manhunter roasted alive and then we see superman basically crucified and this is classic superman this is um blue red cape no energy just normal the superman everyone knows and loves but shouldn't love as much as energy superman no because because you know common sense prevails um he's also looking a bit green pj well he's he's got kryptonite tied around his neck yeah um he's been crucified with a chunk of kryptonite and yeah and the voiceover says superman's death rattle still echoes in every corner of the world a constant reminder that hope has perished Resistance is useless. Disobedience equals death. That is a hell of a creepy piece of dialogue to go with that art. It, it really gets you. It, yeah. Um, and I don't know. Uh, maybe you'd be thinking, "Oh gosh, I hope our heroes can can pull this back." Uh, because as we turn the page, we see Darkseid, uh, literally holding a burning American flag, uh, and standing in front of us, and he goes. Now, what are you going to do? And it's a splash page. That's all that's on that page. Just this lit by the flames, this orange version of Dark Side with the title A League of Their Own. And then our credits, Grant Morrison and Mark Miller as the writers, and Stephen Harris and Keith Champagne as the artists. Clem Robin, Robbins Clem Robbins is the letterer, and Mike Danza did the colours. We don't get an editor. Um, do you not get an editor, PJ? Uh, I'm checking the front of the book. I, I have an editor listed here. Well, it's not in the hard copy I've got. Ah, well, I'm holding the digital copy in my hands. Uh, so the assistant editor is Jay Hernandez Rosenblatt, and Paul Kupperberg is the editor. Well, there we go. There you go. I live a charmed life. <laughs> PJ, did you? Here's a question for you. Until you heard it said out loud, did you ever assume that Dark Side was pronounced Dark Side? Yes. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yes, I, I thought it was just me. I don't think it was until the um, the Justice League cartoon or the Superman, yeah. sorry, the Superman, the animated series in the late 90s when Darkseid appeared in that. And I was like, oh, it's, that makes sense. Yeah, I know. But I was actually a little disappointed because I thought Darkseid was kind of cool, <laughs> like in a way. And I remember thinking like, oh, it's Darkseid. Oh, it's a pun. Yeah. I remember feeling a little like a little disappointed. Yeah. No, I, I'm exactly there. Yeah. 
Oh, thank you. No, I'm glad it's not just me. I don't think you hear you hear enough people talking about <laughs> their love love for Darkseed. <laughs> um, but PJ, as Darkseed waves his flaming flag, uh, what happens? Well, we uh, on the next page see Aztec stood before him, and Aztec sort of talking through his options. So he's basically basic common enemy option. So he sort of runs through this this idea that stage one is is retreating assembling the surviving metahumans on Earth and tending to any casualties, brief them on the plan, which apparently is lead them all to apocalypse, form an alliance with rebels, and then return home to tackle the root of the problem. And then he says, on a permanent basis. And then he just turns, looks up, and says, sound okay, as Green Lantern flies down and says, almost perfect, and he's got a a big, big notebook with him. (laughs) I love how... I get the impression that Aztec is just a terrible actor. Yeah. Like, just, just... Because cause he, he just apparently just cannot buy into this scenario at all. Like, he is just utterly calm while Darkseid is, again, Darkseid, waving the burning American flag in front of him. And Superman has been crucified. So, yeah, Green Lantern does say almost perfect and then gives him a couple of pointers. Uh, then Aztec says, well, what did the last guy say? And Kyle just goes, something about kicking his big blue butt. And we're, we're, we're in a simulation. Darkseid hasn't really killed anyone here on Earth. Yeah, and uh, Darkseid Dark is basically just kind of standing there now while the two of them are essentially just chatting yeah. in, fr- in front of him. Um, who do you think was the previous person they're referring to? Well, Kyle says you'd be surprised how many people think a leather mask and an attitude is all you need to join the Justice League of America. So trying to think back to who they had trying to join them, Hitman and Warrior? Yeah, I mean, oh wait, Warrior was there, wasn't yeah. he? I think. It could be that sounds like something Guy Gardner would say. Yeah. I feel. Um But yeah, and and I guess PJ, I guess to remove any doubt, uh Kyle says virtual image off. And suddenly they're standing in the not danger room. It's a holodeck. It's basically a holodeck. And yeah, because I kind of imagine like once the X-Men had one, like everybody had to have oh, one. Yeah. How could you not? Although I don't think uh, we see it again, do we? In not, we don't see no. this in the main JLA series ever. We do not, PJ. No, <laughs> it, served, it served its purpose. <laughs> um, and yeah, then the two of them just kind of start strolling off through the watchtower, just having a chat, basically. And there's a lovely bit where this is very meta, but Kyle is kind of giving Aztec notes on his superheroing. So he basically says, like, you know, okay, your street combat and dialogue grades are great, and there's already three of us who can vouch for your teamwork. So, yeah, I think you're doing pretty good across the board, really. It's the dialogue grades, like they're graded on their puns in battle. (laughs) Batman surely Um, would score a zero there. You would think, wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, arguably, Batman may not score well on teamwork. No, true. (laughs) Although, one of the three members Kyle says vouches for Aztec's teamwork has to be Batman. Yes, indeed. Uh, as you said, it would be himself, Batman, and I guess Superman. Yeah, although even though he meets Superman and Superman shows up at the end of, of that issue, they don't actually fight the parasite together. Superman is basically there for a cameo. Yeah, although Aztec does get him to come and talk to a poor boy who's in a coma yeah. in the hope that Superman will help him wake up. So I can imagine like, if you're Superman and Aztec asks you to do that, you'll 
kind of going to win a few points. To be fair, I also don't know if Aztec uh, in these 10 months had maybe guest starred in another book somewhere else. Ah, uh, that is entirely possible. I'm surprised he didn't meet Wally. I feel like yeah, that's just something that probably would have happened, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and I guess kind of like to directly tie this into that that audition episode we were talking about, mm. um, we get a recreation of that panel where we saw all the applicants. Although Superboy is here now, and I'm fairly certain he wasn't there originally. He wasn't, no. Ah. But maybe this is saying there were more applicants that we didn't see. Because, in, in fact, as Aztec gets into his teleporter to, to go home to watch TV... Kyle says, uh, okay, next, which one of you guys is Ultra the Multi-Alien? <laughs> I'll I tell you what I think, PJ. I think it's um, it's a continuity error, and therefore this entire series is trash. I have um, an idea about why the audition seems so different in this book to in JLA issue 5, uh, and a couple of other things that come later, that I will tell you once we reach the end of the issue. Interesting. Oh, I, okay. I'd be intrigued to hear that. Meanwhile, I will go on my forums and talk about how <laughs> the continuity errors of. No, wait. What year is this? 97. I'll go on dial up and try and get onto a GeoCities fan page <laughs> to talk about how terrible the continuity is. Um, I mean, that seems like a yeah. fulfilling use of your time. Oh, oh, you wouldn't believe. I mean, God, what? I was 11. What else was I doing? Um, but yeah. Um, so we can kind of assume then from what happens next that the application process does not move quickly because Aztec goes home and then we're suddenly a few weeks later. Well, I think we can assume that that bit happened in JLA 5. And I think probably most of what we see in the Aztec series happens in that time because, as I say, Superman, when he shows up in issue 9, is only just turning into an energy being. So, mm. But then I, I think we can then infer when we get to a few weeks later from what happens in the next issue of JLA that we are now where we are in the reading order of JLA. So JLA 9 has just happened. They've just had the key and Green Arrows joined the league and now we're here. And what's interesting is as we cut to a few weeks later to Vanity City, we have Professor Ivo being, being rushed into hospital and we have a police officer saying, Professor, I Professor Ivo, a mag scientist who built a robot to destroy the League last month, the lawyer warned that he was addicted to immortality serum. So that is a direct callback to um, the Tomorrow Woman yeah. episode. Yeah. And we find out what happened after the JLA arrested uh, T.O. Morrow and Professor Ivo. And Professor Ivo's health has taken a rapid downturn. Basically, because a judge has remo has said he can't have his immortality serum anymore, has overruled the uh, the lawyer who warned he was addicted to it, and now Ivo is in a bad way. Yeah, and of course, as you said, at this point in time, uh, Aztec or Uno is pretending to be a doctor, uh, and yeah, I guess. This is this is his hospital. That's the connection. Yeah. Now, in the first nine issues of the series, you do have a lot of uh, him slipping up and people sort of realizing, wait, Kurt Falcon is supposed to be a much older guy. He's like in his sixties, and this this guy's in his twenties. This doesn't add up. But at this point, uh, Lex Luthor has stepped in and managed to not only fix the records so that they show Uno as 
Kurt Falconer and always has been. Somehow, he's mind-wiped almost everybody who knew that Kurt Falconer was Aztec as well, and only one person, which is his colleague Dr. Julia Frostick, who is also on this page, she's the only other person who knows that he's Aztec. Yeah, um, things have suddenly started going very right Mm -hmm. for Aztec. Like, uh, his life appears to be perfect now. He has a luxury apartment as we see in a second, he also appears to have bodyguards who accompany yes. him at all times. Um, there is just a woman in the car park with essentially an assault rifle just hanging out in case anyone tries to attack him, I guess. But uh, Dr. Frostick and Kurt, they try and work on, on Ivo, and there's not much they seem to be able to do. So they just go outside for a break. Yeah, the key point seems to be that Unless Ivo has access to his his formula again, he'll probably be dead within 24 hours. In fact, he'll probably disintegrate in 24 hours. Like, that's the kind of bizarre medicine they're trying to deal with. Yeah, yeah. Who would take a serum where you need it to not disintegrate? Did he not check the side effects first? The thing is, PJ, you're saying that, like... I can, I can From that comment, I can wager that you're not a gambling man. No. Because yeah, I think I think I'm with you. I kind of lack the mentality <laughs> to to really buy into that. Um, but yeah, so I guess the only really interesting thing here is that they're chatting about Ivo's case. They're talking about the fact that Aztec now has bodyguards, which is weird. And Julia asks, "Have you heard anything from the Justice League? Like, you know, have you heard anything about your job interview?" Basically. Uh, and he just says, nothing. Odd. They take so long to get back in touch when at least three of their members are famous for super speed. And that is a good point. Yeah, and he does make a little joke, which shows he's maybe spending a bit of time in the real world, where he says, maybe I should slip them some cash <laughs> as a bit of a bribe. <laughs> um, and from that, we pan upwards to the moon and everyone's favourite watchtower. And the JLA are meeting to discuss who to recruit. Most of the JLA. Yeah, most of the JLA. Um, Superman apologised that he couldn't make it. Batman didn't. John actually says Batman characteristically didn't apologise and makes a point of that. So, hmm. Uh, and, and John is leading the meeting and he is basically... It looks as though it's a done deal. It looks as though Aztec is definitely... In. Yeah, well, they say it's a membership review and, and John leads with Aztec. He says, uh, any comments? And um, Flash, who hasn't met him at this point, other than briefly at the audition, presumably, uh, just says, excellent press in the newspapers, good reports from other members, helmet's cool. <laughs> and he's not wrong. Although Aquaman Aztec does raise a good point. Yeah, Aquaman, Aquaman is a little uncomfortable with that because he says, I don't know, his helmet's a bit like my brother's. <laughs> and Carl's like, well, that's a good thing. Kyle clearly never and, met Ocean Master at this point. Yeah, and Wonder Woman's like, actually, no, no, that's not a good thing. Uh, or, Orm's <laughs> a bloodthirsty a... sociopath. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and then suddenly, out of the blue, a giant green skull appears in the middle of the table. Like you do. And Wally accuses Kyle. He says, this better not be one of your jokes, Kyle. And you can see why, because it's glowing green energy. Uh, but Kyle is yeah. as surprised as anybody. Yeah, and 
you know, because like uh, you said earlier, PJ, you weren't entirely sure who it was that P- uh, I was going to say that PJ was fighting. That Aztec was fighting <laughs> on the cover. I've I mean, fought this guy many times myself, and then never won. I, oh yeah, we've tangoed. We've tangoed <laughs> a few times. Uh, but no, uh, John recognizes him immediately, which is interesting, seeing as he, he's had quite a redesign. It is Amazo or Amazo, if you're me, and has always read it as Amazo. I read it as Amazo. Thank you. It's Amazo and Darkseed. Um, and Amazon and Darkseed, you know, and, and Rash Al Gul. Um, <laughs> yes. And, uh, yeah, basically, uh, who is, he's basically the super adaptoid. He is a, a robot with all the powers of the original Justice League. So Aquaman, The Flash, Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, Black Canary, and The Martian Manhunter. Now, I did some research. This is not the original Amazon. It is another Amazo who debuted in an issue of Justice League Quarterly in, I want to say, 1993. Um, right. That was one of those books, like Marvel did for a while, where you had X-Men Unlimited and Spider-Man Unlimited, where they were quarterly books which were bigger and had more stories in them. Well, DC were doing it too. So they had Justice League Quarterly, which had a rotating cast. So it basically pulled members from all eras of the Justice League to have adventures uh, and that introduced this redesign of Amazo. He next appeared in this issue of Aztec. I believe he then appears in an issue of Immortal Man and is then never seen again. Great. That's good to know. I mean, Amazo's always had a bit of a weird design, like a very kind of... It was very 60s, like really just kind of quirky costume. Yeah, but I much prefer that design. Yeah, it is. It's weird, but it's it's maybe a little more iconic than just a skull face, I suppose. This to me it, is. It makes sense, uh, given Amazon's history created by P- Professor Ivo. But to me, it looks like the most basic version of someone saying to me, "Can you draw an evil version of the Red Tornado?" Yeah, can you? Can you make this more appropriate for the 90s as well? I feel like that's Yes, a bit of a, an evil, edgy like... red tornado. Oh, pardon me. I'm just going to cough. <laughs> so sorry. That's how much he doesn't like this Amazon redesign. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's leave that in. Yeah, um, the evil red, tonor- uh, red tornado. Tonor- tornado. I mean, come on. Though, um, you can't read that word wrong. Oh, believe me, Peter. <laughs> I, I can do anything at this point. Um... Um, yeah, so the evil red tornado, aka the evil Amazo, but not that Amazo, has turned up to basically play his hand. Classic supervillain. He probably could have gotten away with it if he hadn't told him about yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the league doesn't. They they probably didn't need to get involved with this one, as we'll find out. But he's like, oh, look, I've got business with uh, with Professor Ivo, and uh, don't want you interfering. So I've created. A plasma bubble using the ring of Hal Jordan, uh, that power, and you can't leave now because I've got things to do. And yeah, they they probably wouldn't have interfered anyway, Amazo. I think he thinks he's more important than he is. Yeah. Um. So he's basically now trapped the League, I guess, kind of minus Superman and Batman, on the moon. Um. This is one of those kind of like sliding scale of of power things, which I've often wondered. Like, and there's a point here where Kyle is basically like, well, no, this is ridiculous. Like, my ring is more powerful than Hal Jordan's. There's no way you can trap us on the moon. Um, Jean points out that the ring is backed by willpower. 
And therefore, Amazo has the willpower of five people combined, so therefore there is absolutely no way they can escape. Like, my only problem with that, and this is real nitpicking, is that that does kind of mean that Amazo is essentially invincible. I mean, really. Like, I also don't think it makes that much sense in terms of the powers he's been... Because, yeah, he's been given Green Lantern's powers, but he's also got the willpower of Green Lantern, Flash, Aquaman, Martian Manhunter, and Black Canary. That's not a a superpower that you can duplicate, surely. It's just more of a... It's ineffable. And Yeah, like, does he essentially have five times the sense of humour. I, I feel like what happened here is Mark Miller said, look, let's just use him, have him use Hal Jordan's power ring. And, and Grant Morrison went, yeah, we've got Kyle's power ring inside the bubble. What can we do about that? And Mark Miller went, we'll just explain it with this line. And they went, yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it serves its purpose. It serves the no- story, yes. Yeah, but- I, this, is, this is nitpicking to the highest order. But I'm always, I'm always, it always bugs me a little bit when like, particularly when an enemy is meant to have the same powers as a hero. Or you see this a lot, like if a hero ever gets mind-controlled or suddenly turns evil, they're suddenly like infinitely more powerful or deadlier just because the story requires them to be, not because it makes any sense. Yeah, and it's usually explained with a, well, he's not holding back, now he's evil. And, and okay, you can get away with it once or twice, but... Um, and it's one of those things that, in the context of that issue alone, yeah, okay, it works. But then when you look at it in the wider context, it makes no sense at all. <laughs> this is why. This is why I should get back on my forums. You know, <laughs> really, you know, really, really give it to them. Really, really show that uppity Grant Morrison <laughs> how how, um, no, how we, logic. We works. can blame Mark Miller for that bit. Oh yeah, let's yeah, do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You know, the the, the yeah. bits we're not keen on, those are Miller. <laughs> hundred percent. hundred percent. But we, we cut from that to a moment that I actually really love, uh, which is where we're back in Vanity City at the hospital and there's some kind of big quake and straight away Dr. Frostick is like, Kurt! And he's just like, yes, I know. Maybe this is the Justice League initiation test. Ooh, as he puts his helmet on. And he's he's he looks happy. Like, yeah. He actually looks kind of like excited. Bless him. He's he's kind of like a child in many ways. But I love uh, I love Doctor Frostick's reaction as well. How she's just very suddenly right. Something's up, Kurt. You better get your helmet on. Come on, let's do this. Yeah, if you're going to be a damn superhero, you might as well do something about it. Um, and yeah, then we get to see Amazo, Amazo, Amazo in his in all his glory. He's he's crashed through uh, most of the hospital. It looks like there's a number of let's say dead people behind him let's say dead yeah yeah and he just says um, professor ivo which room now the one the one thing i will say in this uh amazo's design like just uh is he's got those cool 90s pipes which i f- i think they're cool ah even the, though they're uh, not the obvious weakness pipes <laughs> yeah he's got he's got the apocalypse pipes you know like uh, 90s Apocalypse used to have them running mm. out of his shoulders into his arms. Yeah, but they come out of his legs and seem to go into his back. I don't quite know where they connect up. Frankly, I think you would really just catch your arms on them. Yeah. Like, I think that would be quite well, Especially with those big spikes on his gloves. Yeah. Why does a robot Did need you... gloves anyway? Uh, let's... Mo- moving on, moving on. Um, <laughs> Mark Miller. Uh, moving on, uh, we see uh, 
Kurt, uh, uh, no, not Kurt. Is his name Kurt? Yeah, yeah Kurt, Kurt Uno, Aztec. That guy. Is accessing his supervillain database through his helmet. And, yeah, he's getting a sudden, like, update on what what Amazo can do, basically. And what he is. And with that, he just punches him out of the hospital and into a truck. And just turns around and says to Dr. Frostic, this isn't a test. Uh, go find Ivo and get him away from this guy. Behind lead shields in x-ray would be best. Which is a nice little touch. Just because he's thinking, you know, about, I'm going to assume, x-ray vision. Which this Amazon doesn't have, because it's the original Justice League. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know why it needs no. to be behind lead. Okay, well, either way, we cut to the moon suddenly. And we have Kyle wearing uh, American football armor made out of green energy, smashing himself again and again against the bubble, which is trapping them on the moon. Constantly shouting, this is going to work, this is going to work. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Uh, They are still trapped on the moon. And yeah, Wonder Woman has a plan. Well, Wonder Woman's very smart. She does. Um, I feel this is the kind of thing where I'd like to know how many times in facing Amazo before have the league been able to do this trick? Well, I think it entirely depends what Amazo's doing to them because it's only going to work against one very specific set of powers that that Amazo has. Yeah, this is of course a, the 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 weird quirk that because Amazo, this incarnation of Amazo's powers are based on how Jordan's ring, there was an inherent weakness in that ring to the color yellow. So Aquaman realises this, and as he realises it, Wonder Woman's already ahead of him and wrapping her lasso around her fist. Yes, and by punching the bubble, it utterly explodes. Leading Kyle to make a rather weird little comment, um, where he basically goes, wow, as the League look on in, 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 in shock, he goes, somebody remind me at the Christmas party... Not to make a pass at Diana. Were you going to, Kyle? Because yeah, this, like, this shouldn't be the moment to decide that's a bad idea. No. Do you really need? Do you really need? Do you need a woman to destroy a plasma bubble around the moon to suddenly think that's maybe not a good idea? Oh well. But we then we then the cut 90s. to a panel that I genuinely <laughs> love. Yeah, um, yeah, this is kind of amazing. <laughs> so Amazo is, this is like half the page now, Amazo is running through Vanity City using flash speed, and he's got Aztec by the wrist, dragging him behind him, and Aztec is shouting, will you slow down with every word in a different speech bubble? And I think it's beautifully done. It does look kind of amazing. And yeah, this Amazo, Amazo, is a bit of a mess to look at visually, mm. but he does look quite cool here while he's while he's racing I, along. I think it's the pose and the energy coming off him with the super speed. And it's, it's Aztec's speech bubbles that make it for me. They, they sort of make it into a little comedy beat that I really appreciate. And speaking of comedy, uh, we then, on the following page, we have Aztec's face getting slammed into three successive buildings at hyperspeed 
And the only thing we have to give context is the road signs, which go from 21st Street to 54th Street to 281st Street. So we can only we can only assume that Aztec's face has been dragged along basically every building yep. in Vanity City. And then uh, Amazo stops, drops Aztec on the floor, and he says, uh, the one-man Justice League, that's what they used to call me in the papers until Doomsday and Bane started stealing the headlines. And then he just goes through his powers. Super speed, super strength, invisibility, the ability to talk to fish. And then he pauses, and Aztec finishes for him as, he says, canary cry. And Amazo uses Black Canary's sonic scream to basically shatter everything. Yeah, it's a bit of a show-off move. I mean, very cool, but I guess, yeah, if you want to shatter every every window on the street. Um, and then Aztec just keeps gloating, basically. He says, Professor Ivo programmed me with all of their powers and none of their scruples. One of those old-fashioned bids for world domination. He really hated President Carter. <laughs> but and then a- baller move here from Aztec. Yeah, he just flat out grabs Amazo's face, and there's this big like explosion of energy from beneath his fingertips, and suddenly like Amazo's face is ruined. Yeah, so he's just like, fired the energy blast from his hands like at close as close range as you can possibly get. Yeah, uh, to the point where it's almost embarrassing for Amazo. Like, it kind of, like, he does so much damage to him in this one blast, it kind of makes makes you wonder why uh, Amazo even bothered. Yeah, Amazo's annoyed. He says, what'd you do that for? You fried half my circuitry. And he's posturing about to say, look, uh, you've made me angry, but then the League arrive. And Flash says, and Batman and Superman are on their way as well. Yeah, and... Amazo just instantly goes, instantly surrenders, you know, just goes like, okay, you know, the game's over, you know, it's a fair cop, you got me. Um, Now, maybe you'll listen to what I'm doing here? And then, like, Aztec's like, what what do you mean? And Aztec, uh, and Amazo, whose face is basically on fire, reaches into one of his robot gloves (laughs) and (laughs) brings out a vial of liquid and goes, without his serum, the professor is going to die, and as much as I hate to admit it, losing him would be like Tom losing Jerry. I'd have nobody left to play with. Just tell him to get well soon. And he <laughs> just hands the vial over to Aztec. And that's it. Done. We turn the page, and Ivo's fine. He's he's sat up in his isolation chamber, reading an issue of the National Inquisitor, which has the elongated man on the cover and the headline My Night with the Elongated Man, so he's into his tabloids. Yeah, and a real kind of like all's well that ends well sort of thing. Like, you know, the fight was over before it began, really. This is the thing, it's over very quickly, and I do wonder if this was supposed to be a two-part story, that because Mm. the series got cancelled with ten, they had to try and fit everything into the one issue instead. That is a very, yeah, yeah, actually, that's a very good point, because it's less of a fight and more of a joke. Yeah. Like, really. Not saying it's bad, just saying, like, the point is not that Aztec fights Amazo, it's that it was all a kind of misunderstanding, Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, the fact that one, the Aztec-Amazo confrontation is very quick, but also the League getting out of the Watchtower is very quick as well. They're not delayed for long at all. 
Yeah, um, I guess the only kind of like zinger is that, you know, Aztec's going like, oh, I guess, you know, the robot came good in the end and it's nice that it had a happy ending. And Julia points out that the magic formula that let Ivo get better was spiked with a toxin that basically would have killed him. Um, so, yeah, like maybe it was a nice gesture, but they are still both megalomaniacs and psychopaths and this is just how they kind of treat each other. Yeah, and Ivo had anticipated it months ago and had ingested an antitoxin, so he's fine. Yeah, a very weird relationship between the two. Um, and speaking of which, we get the beginnings of, ooh, are sparks flying between, uh, you know, Aztec and Julia? He tries to kiss her, and then she pulls away very quickly, and he's like, well, what's wrong? And she's like, for God's sake, what do you think? This does, you, you don't do it for me. I'm engaged to someone else. What were you thinking? And Aztec's basically, well, it seemed like a logical conclusion to the story. <laughs> And, yeah, she basically says, leave the logic to Mr. Spock. This is the real world. You're needed down in ER. So we then cut to a page that's very odd, and this I actually kind of love, because this is dangling... It's going to give us four different dangling plot threads for upcoming Aztec storylines that we are never going to see. And when Morrison and Miller did this issue, they would have known that this had been cancelled, they weren't going to get to do this. So they're just dangling it in front of us to say, well, here's what you could have had. Yeah, like... Do you, yeah, you've got to wonder, like, is this a bit of um, Is this a bit of a weird flex? I think it is. From the two of them? I think it yeah, is, but it's they're... one that I really like for the most part. I do think the first one, we see a TV showing Aztec and then a bunch of dolls and some a pair of legs and a lady's hand holding the remote... And she says, I've had half the heroes in Rovin's Guide, and now I'm coming for you, Aztec. Think you're man enough for the super groupie. Now, I think if they had done that story, that wouldn't have aged well at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> we, should maybe be, we should maybe be thankful. Um, there's also uh, a dangling plot thread about Aztec having a brother, which he was unaware of. That's classic superhero. Now, Lawrence Rodman, who's there on the page saying, this is so unfair, I'm halfway through a nervous breakdown and now you tell me I'm Aztec's brother. And we actually did see his mother at the end of the last issue watching Aztec on TV, Mrs. Rodman. So that was going to go yeah. somewhere. And I would have liked um, to see that, actually. That would have been fun. Yeah, because I, yeah, I can kind of see where it would have gone. Like, he would have become the anti-Aztec or something. Yeah. or yeah. Um, the Quizzler, uh, a villain who I'm not sure is meant to be anything, or I don't, is just. I don't think we've met him before. No. Maybe a word search themed villain. But I do like. He, he talks about a supervillain convention that's going to be a riot with an amazing guest list, and oh, I would have loved to see that. I've got to say, have you read Seven Soldiers of Victory? Uh, no, I haven't. I swear this is maybe an idea which Morrison has wanted to do something with for ages because in the pages of that, there's a storyline in the Bulleteer uh, chapters where there is a superhero convention. Ah, okay. And it, and it all takes place at a convention and it's totally, you know, it's written by somebody who's in that world. Right. It's, you know, it's, it's the logic of this is a comic convention in a world where there are actually superheroes. And yeah, it's... You know, it's it's for panels. It's the it's for 
getting signatures and everything. So I think he did eventually get to explore that idea. Okay, I, I would like to see it done in a see Aztec turning up at a supervillain convention. I think that would have been a lot of fun, though. Yeah, certainly. Just oh yeah, particularly of that point in time yeah. as well. And yeah. Um, well, what's the last plot thread that we will never get resolution to? So that cuts to the Q Foundation, where we have, I can't remember her name, but we did see her in earlier issues when Aztec was recovering after a battle, which had gone fairly, he'd won, but it had gone badly for him. He was badly hurt. Uh, his suit was taken for a test run by like the backup Aztec that they have at the Q Foundation. And she's here saying, it doesn't matter what they say, I'm not going to stay here and watch him ruin the, ruin the mission. I'm going after him. So this was effectively going to be her trying to take over the role of Aztec from uno um that again never gets picked up on yeah and i guess it's interesting because thinking back to that chapter where she turns up she was much more competent than him yeah Uh, i think i think aztec uno as we know him a much more heroic character she was a bit more ruthless but she was generally kind of better at using the equipment like um, that's it much more aggressive i think it's uno's uh, attitude and the way he goes about things that got him the role of Aztec more than anybody else rather than necessarily his abilities as a warrior yeah yes no I mean he's very and ultimately we'll see more of this in the pages of JLA but he is a he's a likable character there's a purity to him which really kind of you know works Um, and yeah and I guess we cut now to the JLA Watchtower. And this is a weird couple of pages. Yeah, and I would love to know where this idea first came from. But the idea that when a new member of the JLA is sworn in, they do so over the robes of the Crimson Avenger. Which, who, apparently, yeah. is the first superhero in the DC universe. Yeah, Kyle flat out says, I don't understand why are we doing this? And Jean says, conducting the ceremony before his costume is a sign of respect. Ritual must be observed. He didn't do it for Green Arrow. No, but that's the thing. I mean, we didn't see it, but I do remember that in that episode, right at the end of the Angels storyline, when Batman rejoins them on the moon, he's complaining about being there and someone says, well, our rules state that you must have six standing members present to sign in a new member. And these are apparently rules that Batman himself helped write. I don't know if that's this, because all seven of them are there. You've got, you can see behind Jean, who's in his Martian form as well. He's, he's in this, the, the thin, pointy man, three fingers, <laughs> no cape mode. You've got Kyle, Aquaman, Energy Superman, almost... Batman and Wonder Woman in the shadows behind him. And uh, Flash is bringing Aztec in. Aztec's asking if he should be nervous. And Flash just says, ah, I've been joining teams my whole life. And initiations are still weird. You're fine. Yeah, and we basically have the League um, standing in the shadows. And they go, Flash is the candidate ready. And Aztec steps forward. He strides over the JLA logo. And goes, I'm ready. And that's it. That's it. That's all she wrote, folks. That is, that is... Aztec has joined the Justice League, and this is why we had to do that issue. Yeah, and it is... It's a weird end to a weird series. Yes. Yeah. 
and I and like as much as I really like the artwork and I like the kind of bizarre vertigo-y kind of vibe to it it's it's kind of like a nightmare compared to the main JLA series oh it really is yeah like this final shot of the JLA they look really weird yeah. like about as unheroic as you could probably make them this ties into the the theory i have about it that i mentioned earlier about why things are so slightly different even the actual jla stuff here and i think it's because when you see the sequence where they're auditioning people in jla issue five that is in jla and it's very much this is what's happening aztec is all from aztec's point of view so it's that skewed, I'm looking up to these people, I'm a bit scared of them, and we're seeing it as he sees it, or uh, rather than seeing it for as it actually is. So it's more right. intimidating, and it and that's my theory anyway. Just that this is this is all from Aztec's point of view, rather than being just this is how it happened. It's interesting what you said. You were saying about how this original idea of Aztec being recruited into the JLA how this was maybe a little rushed because the series got kind mm. of got got cancelled ahead of its time because i mean it certainly works like as a, as a way of introducing a character to the league and and obviously this isn't a jla book this is an aztec book so of course it should be presented in the style of that series um nevertheless it is it is it is weird like i, I it's certainly very in keeping with the series i think if this had been a classic jla story featuring aztec that probably would have been jarring given the issues that have come before yeah if i'm making sense like this is definitely the only way i think aztec could have joined the jla in his own series yeah and this is why we had to do this issue because when you get to the next issue of JLA, Aztec is just there as a member of the team, and there's a footnote at some point in the issue that just says, Aztec joined the JLA in Aztec issue 10. So you had to get there, and I know it's it's Morrison sort of, you know, he wasn't able to finish his story in Aztec, so he, because he is on JLA as well as writer, he uses that to continue the character's story, which, fair yes. enough, cannot argue with him doing that. I do think he has to make changes to accommodate and do that. I don't think you know the final aztec will face the 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 coming of the the dark god in the pages of jla and i don't think it goes down as it would have in the pages of aztec or even that the dark god is the same same uh, entity that it would have been had the story continued yeah. in aztec i i've got to say like i am i am fascinated by that because again i, I don't i almost like i don't want to spoil things that yeah. i know are coming i guess we will we'll 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 touch upon it in the pages of 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 jla but I'd always assumed that Aztec's story was intentionally and had always been planned out to tie very closely into the events of JLA. It was very interesting to me when you suggested that it was more of a workaround. Like, mm. they, Morrison clearly felt a great deal of affinity for, J, uh, for Aztec. And I kind of imagine, like, with his series being cancelled, the only way he could continue that character and give him some kind of closure would be within the pages of JLA. Yeah. Um, what do you think of it as, just because, I don't know, like, I'm trying to find a way to vocalise this. This didn't really feel like 
my JLA in a, in a way. I know exactly like, what you mean. Yeah, something felt slightly off. Yeah. And I think it might be Mark Miller. But we know we've got a Mark Miller issue coming up a, l- a little later on, and it's really good. And it's just him writing. Yeah. But I think part of that, though, is that's Mark Miller doing JLA. And actually, if he wants to, he can do a very good classic superhero story. Um, he just doesn't seem to want to do that most of the time these days. But I think, I don't know, maybe because Aztec is something he and Morrison created, Miller wanted to skew it a little more weird. And Morrison probably just went, yeah, let's do that. Well, it's like um, it's like if you watch a, a long-running TV series, like a, an American TV series, say, big, like, 20-episode kind of spectacle. And, you know, you come to love the characters and you, you think you have a good handle on their voice and how they would act. And then you might get, like, an odd episode every now and then where you feel like, that was a bit weird. Like, the characters didn't behave exactly how I would expect them to. I think maybe you look at the credits and you're like, oh, I guess they had a different writer on that one. So I'm not saying, I'm certainly not saying this to to slag off Mark Miller. I, I just mean that there's times when if I pick up, say, a Batman book written by Grant Morrison, I know I know you maybe don't feel the same way, but I, I often feel like, oh, yeah, this is the same Batman I used to enjoy back in the pages of JLA because it's, there's the same thread of the writer kind of going through it. And I guess just because this is a maybe a collaborative effort and there's a different voice in the mix, the JLA, as we saw them here, they do... I find it hard to believe that they're the same JLA that I could follow, you know, just in the previous uh, issue of their series, th- if that makes sense. I think to a degree, I think you, you definitely get that with Jean. He feels weirdly spiritual in a way that doesn't come over i think in in the normal jla just in in more in the the way he is in that ceremony at the end and the but also kyle i think is played more immature uh we the bit with the american football world uh uniform when he's trying to charge at the uh at the hal jordan globe feels He's rushing in more than maybe he does in the pages of JLA. But what I find strange about that is when Green Lantern appears in Aztec issue two, and indeed when Batman appears in issues seven and eight, six and seven, I forget exactly the numbers, but yeah, those feel of a piece. That feels like the Green Lantern from JLA, the Batman story two-parter. Feels like it could come from a Batman book and just guest star Aztec. Uh, but yeah, it, they do feel slightly more off in this issue. Not in a bad way, I, I, just in a different way. No, it is... As much as I enjoyed, like, visiting Aztec, I'm glad that I was able to fill in this kind of gap in my knowledge. It This series scratched a very different itch mm. for me than, um, than JLA. And, you know, it's weird, like, coming off the back of the key storyline, coming off the back of... Um, the angels storyline where the, the the characters are really starting to solidify aztec is a bit of a weird nightmare like as a series and i enjoyed visiting but much like vanity city i don't really want to live here like i want to come back to to jla I've, I've got, where it's bright and colorful i've got to be honest i think i think i've i've read the aztec series in full 
a total of three times now. I, I, I read the whole thing before we did this episode just to re-familiarise myself with everything that came before, so I wasn't just reading issue 10 in isolation. Um, but the first time I read it was when I bought it, and as I say, my copy is in a book labelled JLA Presents Aztec. So I was reading it as a fan of JLA, and on that level I was reading it thinking, I, I don't know if I'm enjoying this, actually. I think having the JLA label on it almost does the book a disservice. Yeah, I think it was the second time I read it, however many years ago that was, when I just thought, oh, I'll give that another read, and read it in isolation, not expecting it to be sort of JLA, a JLA book, effectively, but as its own thing. That I That's when I got a respect for it and sort of developed a new appreciation of what they were trying to do with it as its own entity. And on that level, I really like it. But as a companion piece to JLA, it, it's not. It shouldn't be labelled as such, I think. I I feel this is this book is thematically closer to say something like Grant Morrison's run on Animal Man yeah. than it is to JLA, and I think much like because obviously you can you can tell there are characters that Morrison has a real affinity for the Joker being one of them. Yeah, his, his theory about the Joker kind of reinventing himself time and time again is kind of like a pretty good metaphor for Morrison's career. Yeah. And I feel that this is very much the previous incarnation of Morrison, in a way. And I don't know whether... It's so mad to me to, to hear that it was being released at the same time as JLA. It's like, I wonder if he was like dipping his toe back into like an old style of storytelling, while also kind of flexing his muscles over in this big kind of like cosmic opera of JLA. It's, it's so weird that the two coexist... To me. Well, I feel like maybe you get, like Morrison, JLA, I think it was the beginning of, of sort of that new cosmic era of, of Grant Morrison. But when he'd been working with Mark Miller before that on things like Skrull Kill Crew, he's still that Morrison when he works with Miller, perhaps at this point. Yeah. I can't actually think of many collaborations between them that came after this where they're credited as co-writers. Um, well, I, I know they're... I think their kind of personal relationship kind of deteriorated a little bit. I I don't think they ended up on quite as close terms as they were mm. initially. Um, but it is odd, and I I I, I don't mean this to be a, a disservice to to Miller. It's just that I am obviously such a fan of of Morrison that to to have a series which is like half Morrison, even if the other half is good, feels like a bit of a dilution to me. Like. I thought Aztec was very good. I couldn't necessarily see the seams. I couldn't quite tell mm. where Miller took over or Morrison was in charge. But at the same time, it didn't. It felt a little weaker than it wasn't quite. The sum of its parts didn't add up. Yeah. Like it did. It didn't quite kind of gel. There's a lot of interesting ideas, but it was a bit messy. I do. Part of me does wish that it hadn't been cancelled. They've been able to finish what they were trying to do with it. Um, I'm fairly sure Aztec would have still joined the Justice League because that's Lex Luthor's plan in Aztec. Whether it would have happened in the same way or even in the pages of Aztec, I, I don't know. Uh, we wouldn't have covered this issue, I think, if Aztec had joined in an issue of JLA. We, we wouldn't even be looking at, at this book. But no. I think the only reason we're doing it is because you get this issue of Aztec, which ends with Aztec being a member of the team, and then the next issue of JLA, he's just there. I mean, that is something I used to... I used to enjoy about, say, uh, The Avengers, which um, ultimately I think I, I've, I've read, as much as I love 
uh, obviously this run on JLA, we wouldn't be doing a podcast about it if we didn't. Mm. I think I collected the Avengers for longer. Yeah, me too. And I mean, what, what was the thing we used to say? Like the Fantastic Four are a family, the X-Men are outcasts, the JLA are gods, and the Avengers are a baseball team. Yeah. Where the cask is constantly rotating as people come in and out. So I'd always, I, I was, it never bothered me so much when you'd pick up a team book and suddenly say Superman is now blue or Iron Man now has a different suit of armor. Yeah. Because you you always get that little caption box that goes like, oh, please see Iron Man issue 10 for explanation as to what the hell is going on here. We also had most of these characters, because they were big enough to have their own solo books, even if you didn't read the books, you'd tend to hear about the big things that were happening in them. You knew if a character had died or, like in Superman's case, had this major change of powers. i got to say, I would quite welcome the challenge. I think it'd be quite interesting to be writing a team book where you weren't necessarily in control of what happened to the individual characters mm. like you could certainly you certainly couldn't kill one of them unless it was with a much bigger editorial edict and like i think the jla series is often criticized for being like big on spectacle but not very big on character moments which i think i would disagree with because as we've talked about there are some lovely moments of character development yeah, yeah. But, but i think that's also the consequence of being a jla book you're not really allowed to make any changes to a character that would fundamentally affect their solo title, I guess. But I think that's another reason why Morrison starts bringing in these other characters, why you get Green Arrow and Aztec on the team, because certainly in Aztec's case, that's a character Morrison can pretty much do whatever he wants to within the pages of JLA without there being any ramifications elsewhere. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, I've been trying to think, actually, if I can think of any other characters who sort of joined a team in a book that wasn't that team's book and the only one i can come up with is uh it's another marvel example and it's d-man uh demolition man who jo- oh. joined the avengers in an issue of captain america but he w- and then was just suddenly there yeah but he also wasn't a member of the avengers for very long at all i think he was like for one issue before he left and then he turned up again at the beginning of volume three for kurt Busiek's run when he brought in everyone who'd ever been right, an Avenger. Right, That's my that's my only introduction to D-Man, basically. That was my introduction to the character, but I have gone back and read some of the earlier stuff. But that's the only other example I can think of of a character joining a major team. And D-Man has less of an impact on the Avengers than Aztec has on JLA, certainly. What's interesting, I guess, is that you know, knowing what's coming now, as we're about to dive into the Rock of Ages storyline, it's actually interesting how many changes we're about to see like kind of between issues i don't know what was in the water at dc in like october 1997 but like a lot happens between issues well i think we better talk about one of those things now because it's quite major and because our next episode is going to be part one of rock of ages i feel like we're going to have a lot to say there so we probably (laughs) want to get this out of the way now but folks wonder woman's about to die (laughs) what (laughs) (laughs) don't worry she gets better so, yeah, so this is the reason why we decided to do Aztec, of all things, now. Because it was either that or, I guess there were like three potential things we could have dived into as a sidetrack. We've got Wonder Woman dying, mm-hmm. Aztec joining, and the Genesis wave, which I guess uh. we will touch upon at some point. 
two episodes time two episodes time yeah it's yeah i i again a lot of shuffling like a lot happens and if we hadn't touched upon aztec i think there would have been one question too many for the next issue yeah because if you as, as we both did if you read rock of ages for the first time as as the trade Obviously, it opens with, and this is something else we're going to have to deal with, but mostly next time. It, the Rock of Ages trade opens with like the last two or three pages of the last issue we looked at, oh my God. but they're not in the American Dreams trade because they were saved for the beginning of the Rock of Ages trade. So don't we? Yes, we did miss an epilogue, but we are going to cover it. Don't worry. Mm. But then after that, in Rock of Ages, you get the roll call, which they did in every book of here's the members of the jla here's their status quo and wonder woman's is just oh she's dead she died doing this and yeah she's dead now and you're like what and she just doesn't appear she's just not there and uh and listener if you're confused then yes you're right to be confused it is very strange um and, and honestly like yeah this this would have been a bloody nightmare if you're trying to <laughs> you're trying to write this <laughs> issue and you probably just get like a post-it note from the you know the the dc uh, head office as they pass by your desk going like yeah by the way um uh wonder woman's dead so uh you know do what you will with that uh you okay ask tech we okay to ask tech he's on board there's also like a big event coming and it'd be really nice if you could pave the way for that in uh, the span of one issue. Cheers. That'd be great. Uh, one issue, which is also the opening chapter of your first big story mm. on JLA. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and that weird... This blew my mind when you were telling me about that weird... The prologue to the Rock of Ages book was originally the epilogue to the conclusion of the key storyline. Well, that's we mentioned when we were talking about it how it had epilogue two, uh, which was uh, Green Arrow getting his chair at the JLA table, and then the next one was just labelled epilogue, and it was Batman, the Batman and Superman moment that, that was brilliantly done, lovely moment. Which is why I then thought this seems odd. It looked like there was a word missing, so was this labelled epilogue one? What what's going on here? So I also have a lot of those issues on Comicsology. So I went and downloaded that issue to check, and sure enough, the Batman-Superman moment is epilogue one, and there was then an epilogue zero, which I was like, wait a second, and epilogue zero is the opening pages of the Rock of Ages trade. So, Jeez, yeah. I mean, which is a great cliffhanger, but it's so, it's so strange. Like, the yeah, not an easy point to keep track of continuity, if I'm honest. Like, this is where I, it gets woolly. I think actually as well, it's a good thing we're doing this based on how everything's printed in the trades, because if we'd had that cliffhanger ending, if we'd discussed what happens in that epilogue, and then we'd gone on to Aztec issue 10, that would have just messed everything up. Yeah. I mean, comic continuity is a very weird beast. Like, it has a lot of pros and cons, and like... This is why it can be such a hurdle to new readers when they're going like, what the hell do I need to read to keep track of this? Like, it gets easier. I don't think there's many more moments. There's not too many more moments in the series, but obviously we had to do um, Mixamus Nightmare. We somehow squeezed in JLA Wildcats because that apparently fit in a weird point in the continuity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's been a lot. There's been a lot of little diversions on the path, but I think he said... It gets a little easier once we get past 
Rock of Ages. No, we, we have another diversion that we need to do at some point, although technically we've already passed where it is in continuity. Oh, God. Which one is that? I'm struggling, PJ. Earth 2. Earth 2, of course. Yes. Yes. No, no. Yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, you're right. Because we're definitely... Which get- is also a huge graphic novel and we have no idea how we're going to cover it yet. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely going to do Earth 2 because it's so, so good. Yeah. And yet... That's a weird standalone beast, isn't it? Because it was released around the time of World War Three, but is chronologically set at some point around. Well, it has, it has to be between New World Order and um, American Dreams. It has to be. Yeah, and frankly, if we squeezed in another diversion at that point, we'd never have got the main series underway. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's very strange. Um, so PJ, knowing that comics are weird, um, is there? Do you have any final thoughts on 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 Aztec and the JLA? Oh my lord! Um, yes, lots, but I won't speak them yet because they, uh, as ever, I don't want to spoil what's coming. I should say, like for two people whose introduction to Aztec was in the pages of JLA, um, you know, it was nice to spend some time with him alone. Um, you know, get to know the history that brought him to the JLA. Yes, but like. I still very much enjoy his appearances in JLA, and I'm glad that they are still ahead of us. And I've got to say, I think Howard Porter draws him so well. Yeah. He looks so good in the pages of JLA. Oh, my God. Yeah. And actually, oh, yeah. And when we do eventually get to, to, to World War Three, oh, oh, yep. yes. My, my, my. <laughs> um, so uh, with that in mind, I guess it uh, the only things left to say are a massive thank you to Gav Mitchell for our incredible cover art. And Elliot Red for our fantastic theme tune, Justice. And if you enjoy hearing PJ and I, you know, waffle on about this, that, and everything else, um, you can find us both on social media, and our handles are in the description. And I guess, PJ, is there anything is there anything you'd like to, to flag or signpost or point people towards? Uh, no, just you know, I'll waffle anywhere and everywhere. <laughs> we'll <laughs> we'll we'll waffle for hot meal, basically. Um, I should say, uh, if you're enjoying this series, uh, a review, leaving us a review on iTunes would be very much appreciated. Well, just just hit that star rating, preferably on the number five. I'll accept a four. <laughs> if you do a three, you're dead to me. <laughs> um, I was gonna no, I was gonna try and make some star quip. Uh, give it. Give us a star for every incarnation of Scarman there's give, been. Give us a five star rating. 